Good morning, Calvary Bible Church. I am so thankful that you have joined us online today. I know that we would rather be gathered together in person, both in Boulder and in Erie. So we're thankful that we have the opportunity to do this online. We are praying that we will be able to gather together very soon. We're praying that God in his kindness would bring an end to COVID-19 and restore things to the way that we have really enjoyed them. We've been praying for you and we know that you've been praying for us. These are important days, and as we respond as a church, it is very different than how the world responds. We respond not in fear, but in faith. The leadership team has been gathering and talking this entire week. Though Pastor Tom Shirk is out of the office with his family, uh, his mother, if you remember, had passed away a few months ago, and as a family, they have uh, gathered this weekend to remember and celebrate her life. But the leadership team has been in contact with Tom, with our ministry staff and the elders as well to create the best plan in faith, wisdom and discernment to care for you, to care for our community and make sure that we continue to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's a few things just to be reminded of and to update you with. Last Friday, many of the staff around Colorado who lead churches, including ours, gathered for a conference call with the governor of Colorado. There the governor informed us of some things that he would be doing and asked us to do some things as well. We've decided that this weekend we would honor the governor's recommendation to suspend all gatherings of 250 or more and also limit smaller gatherings where we would cease to spread some of the contagious disease of coronavirus. We hope that this will be changed very soon, but look for updates in your inbox or posted online as to what Calvary will do in the weeks ahead. We know that we wanna stay connected and care for you as best as possible. Here's how we're doing that. We know that you might have certain needs that we would love to meet. Our offices remain staffed. If you would like to call or send in a message via email, uh, we would love to send a ministry staff response to care for those needs for you. Also, we, we know that when we gather on Sunday mornings, there's a connect card in the seat backs in front of you or the pews if you're on the Boulder campus. Many of you are already using our online connect card. If not, I just want to direct your attention that you can use your smartphone or online and you can go to calvarybible.com and on calvarybible.com you'll see that there is a section at the very bottom of the website where you can click on the mobile bulletin. The mobile bulletin is all that content that you're familiar with. And here you can click on the connect card. On this connect card shows you how do you can still fill out one each as you do each week, as well as at the bottom, there's a place for prayer requests. We would love to hear how we can be praying for you. We're still devoted and committed to praying for all requests that come in as a staff and as elders. This week, in fact, the staff and elders will gather to pray. And so be praying with us as we ask the Lord to continue to lead us in all of these wise and discerning decisions. For those of you who already give online, thank you so much for your generous, faithful giving. For those of you who are faithfully bringing in gifts and decide to give those on site normally and are wondering what to do with those gifts, we'd like to direct your attention to online giving on that same website, calvarybible.com slash this week. It's easy to set up and easy to use. We know that the ministries here locally and globally cannot continue without your faithful, generous giving. And so we are so thankful for that. Now, as we stay connected, we are hosting our services online today, as well as for parents in the room. We, we know that it's important to continue to disciple and teach our children. Our student ministries and children's departments have posted 
online parent cues, questions, ways to interact with your kids. You can download those from online as well. For adults, life groups, if you're getting together or if you're choosing to uh, do that online, we remember that we still have our resource page uh, that our adult ministries produces that will continue to be those guides through our ACTS series. As well, as we would love to stay connected with you and your concerns, we wanna stay connected with the community. Our leadership team has been in contact with local city officials, school board members, as well as those in our community partners that are caring for the needs of our cities. Our community outreach teams will be notifying you, check your inbox or back to calvarybible.com, of ways that we're gonna be able to care for the needs of our community. These are the times in which the church has risen to a place to shine as a city on a hill, to let our lights shine before the people so that they would see the confidence and hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so now is the time not only to care for ourselves, to stay connected as a community, but to make our hope and witness known to the world around us who feels a bit unsettled. Because we know that our hope is in the secure place of God, who is the same yesterday, the same today and forever. This God that the disciples met is Jesus Christ present with them in the midst of the storm. The one in which the waves and the winds have to obey. This Jesus who all authority has been given to him from heaven and on earth. And now we know that he is present with us in the indwelling spirit of God. And so may I encourage you with words that the apostle Paul encouraged Timothy with, that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And so let us today continue in our worship together online to worship as Christians today and live distinctly as Christians tomorrow. I'm really excited about the message that we have today. Here joining us in the Erie campus is Pastor John Boyle, who normally serves on the Boulder campus. Those who are in Erie got to meet John last week as he did an excellent job continuing in our series in Acts chapter five. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, which I love teaching through the Bible um, mm -hmm. because the Lord knows our days. And when we planned this series last year, the Lord know, knew that we would be in Acts chapter 6 today and what was going to be happening in our local communities and our world that this passage actually speaks directly to. John, John, do you feel as though your life has become a bit more complex in the last 48, 72 hours? I mean, a little bit, yeah. We have three kids, so a family of five is adapting to spring break is now, you know, a week longer. We didn't have school uh, on Friday. Yeah, it's a lot more complex than our life was even a, a day ago. Absolutely. I mean, I know you're at home, but, but participate with us. <laughs> Raise your hand if you went to the supermarket, Costco included, in the last 48 hours. Yeah. That would be insane. <laughs> it, was, it is insane. And when, when you're there, you're thinking, oh, this is a, a, a series of resources that we need. And we're hoping that the distribution of these resources would be equitable. And yeah. we'd be upset if some of these resources that we would need in a season that has increased in its complexity that we wouldn't have at home to provide for our families and ourselves in the days to come. What's amazing is our passage in Acts 6 speaks directly to some of these concerns. And there's a message here for you today about your encouragement as the church and our empowerment as the church to respond to the needs that happen in our congregations and our community. So if you got your Bibles, we'd love for you to open them up with us to Acts chapter 6. If you're going online, uh, using any app, Bible app, turn that on. Acts chapter 6, 
We're going to be in the first seven verses today. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, let's pray this morning. Father, we are in a unique season in history. And Lord, we pray that the word of God and the spirit of God would be our guide and our comfort this morning. We pray that you would temper our fears and fill us with faith. Father, we pray for everyone in their homes as they've gathered today, that you would be with them in spirit. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would encourage our church and all the local churches in our area to turn their eyes upon Jesus. Father, would you be our teacher this morning? Would you encourage us with these words that have been written to the early church in its foundational moments of what they were going to be and how they were going to respond in times of need? May we look back to for our direction as well. And so Lord, be with John and be with me uh, be with all of us today as we are apart physically, but together in spirit. Mm. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, Thomas, it's cool. You and I have had opportunity to serve together on staff for a really long time. And one of the things that we regularly talk about on our staff team is just how a healthy church is structured. And as you mentioned, our lives has become increasingly complex over the last few days for sure. And really, ministry gets increasingly complex as churches grow. That's something that we've experienced and seen uh, in our time serving on staff here at Calvary. And one of the ways that we've um, tried to help understand how healthy churches react to increasing complexity is something that we call the three C's. Um, like all good ideas, we ripped it off from somebody. Absolutely. Uh, I actually think about 30 years ago, a pastor named Jim Dethmer came up with this kind of paradigm. But it's been really helpful for us to understand how churches function and how healthy churches balance uh, complexity and different needs as they play out their ministry in their local contexts. And uh, as we look through Acts chapter 6, I think it's helpful for us to look at these three components. They all begin with C, as every good, helpful paradigm does. It's got some alliteration in it. And uh, we see the first component of a healthy church, actually, in verse 1 of chapter 6. When it says, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So in the early days of Acts, as the church is beginning to flourish and grow, we see that the disciples were increasing in number. That's a good thing. The church was growing. That was something that Jesus wanted to have happen when he commissions uh, the apostles in uh, the first chapter of Acts and verse 8. And he says, now, um, you know, take 
take the message of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's understood in there that the church would grow. And the first component that we see here as the disciples were increasing in number is that the church is a community. This is something that we all think about really when we think of church. That, you know, another way we talk about it is we're a family. Uh, and we like to be together. That's why it's particularly challenging for us this morning as our church isn't gathered together. There's no Calvary Cafe that we get to be a part of today. Um, we're worshiping together in homes with our family. And we sense a, a little bit of loss that we're not with our brothers and sisters. Um, but a, a church is a community. And as the, as the church grew there, um, the, the community had needs. And uh, that's a really helpful reminder for us that a growing church has increased needs. You know, the more people who come to a church, the more challenges there are, the more problems that can occur. But also it's like more opportunity for the church to step in and care for their brothers and sisters, yeah. for the community that they're a part of. And that community is distinct as the centerpiece of that community is Christ. The centerpiece of that community is the mission that they've been set forward to proclaim Christ, the resurrection, the gospel. And in that community, there's diversity. We, we talked about how the church is the most diverse community of people yeah, right. on the planet. And not simply racially diverse or ethnically diverse, though we see some of that here in our text today, but socioeconomically diverse. It's diverse in age. Uh, one of the blessings of being part of Calvary is a multi-generational church, the diversity of ages and the diversity of life stages, which also probably adds to its complexity of needs within the community. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the need that we see is that um, the widows in the church, in verse 1, were being neglected in the daily distribution. So obviously in the first century, widows were particularly vulnerable. They didn't really have an opportunity to be gainfully employed if their husbands died. And so their needs were taken care of by the community. And in this case, it was really important that the church could rally around them. We saw how they were sharing in their resources that um, the needs that arose were being met by the community. And in this case, a particular group was being neglected. Would you tell us a little bit more about the Hellenists and um, what these different words mean and why it was important that they weren't being neglected. Yeah, absolutely. So as, as we see in the weeks past, this community not only grew in, in numbers, but it grew in its generosity. We saw people with generous hearts bringing gifts in, laying at the apostles' feet, and those gifts were used, distributed to care for the needs of people. Now, the concern here is that there's a group of people, a specific ethnic group of people, and probably the most vulnerable group of people, that those needs were, were not being met. They were actually being neglected. Uh, as John pointed out, you know, the widows are, are probably the most vulnerable group of people in the first century. It's not only that they had lost their husbands, but it was a patriarchal society in which male ownership of property could really only be transferred to other males or an inheritance to other males in the family. And so these widows are without any familial support and really on their own which they would be dependent on the community of believers that was first connected in the, the Judeo community at the temple. And here it's been transferred over to this Christian community. Now, what we see is the diversity here ethnically between Hellenistic Jews and Judaic Jews. It's those who are part of the Greek diaspora. Those are the Hellenistic Jews, they're, they're Greek. They've been scattered around the Roman empire. 
And then there's the Judaic Jews, which are those who are residing in Palestine. And they probably carry more influence, political persuasion, and weight in the community and the, the affairs of the daily life. And so the Hellenistic widows are, are in a really vulnerable place uh, here in Jerusalem that there could be a sense of division. There could be a sense of disunity amongst the believers. And the way that the apostles are gonna address this in the community is for the sake of the unity of the community, to love one another even though we have diversity. And so what you see between these two Jewish groups is the, the faith is the same, but the culture is different. Yeah. I, I have several friends uh, whose family members still live abroad and they've immigrated to the United States and they say when their parents come, and, and oftentimes their parents don't even speak English, uh, they, they sense how they have culturally drifted apart, yeah. though they come from the same family. And so here we have the same thing, is these Greek Jewish communities and this uh, Palestinian Jewish communities, though they hold the same faith, culturally they've experienced a, a division, a diversity. And here the church says, okay, we don't want that diversity to grow us apart, but to keep us unified, we're going to respond to this need. Yeah, it's a beautiful reminder that the gospel is sort of culturally agnostic and that we can live together in a community. And it's interesting that uh, the word neglected is used. Like that's a really strong verb about what was occurring. But um, the disciples would have known this was a problem because uh, when, when Jesus was with them, he, talk, he talked about the importance of the community caring for each other. Yeah. In John chapter 13, uh, a verse we're probably all familiar with, Jesus said, that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a key component of the church community, that we care for each other, that we care for our needs, that we know what needs exist in the community and we step in and meet them. Without that, people won't know that we're the disciples of Jesus. We should look distinctly different than the rest of society. Mm -hmm. It's important to recognize that there are certain marks of discipleship that actually makes us distinct than other communities of people. And how we respond to one another is one of those marks. It's an amazing thing to, to think about the community of Christ caring for the needs of one another. There will be needs that, that arise yeah. in the next season here at Calvary Bible Church, both in our congregation and our community. And being distinctly Christian and responding in faith, there will be a time for us to rise up and recognize those who may be neglected in this time. Yeah, I'm so grateful for uh, some of the memories I have of the ways that so many of you have responded when there have been needs in our church. I mean, just even in the last 10 to 15 years, you know, we had the four mile fire just outside the city of Boulder mm -hmm. where 250 families lost their homes and our church rallied together to take care of people in, in our church community who were impacted by that and also folks who were impacted in the wider community. Of course, many of us remember the floods that happened in 2013, where we pushed pause on church on a Sunday morning and said, we need to go out into the community. We need to go to people in our church who have flooded basements, whose homes have been literally destroyed. And there was a, a season of probably a month where we just said, all right, here's the needs that exist. How can we go? How can we help? How can we serve? And we anticipate that something similar is probably going to happen for us in the days ahead. I would imagine, I mean, I know that we've already talked about this in the last 48 hours after uh, sending out a note the other day. Uh, many of you have already texted me or sent me an email saying, hey, what needs are there and can we respond? And we've communicated with you that we'll, we'll be in contact and there'll be opportunities for that. But this community continues to be generous 
Um, and it is a mark of, of us being disciples and yeah. being made in the image of Christ and being united in Christ that we care for the needs of those in our congregation and community. You know, it's interesting, Thomas, that uh, you, you told us a little bit about the Hellenists and the Hebrews and the differences there. Um, it's really unique that the, the, the people that are selected are seem to be Hellenistic Jews. They all have Greek names. And uh, it's a good reminder for us that the way that the disciples and the apostles respond to this need is that they know that people who are closest to a problem are often those who are best equipped to solve it. And as we think about the needs that are going to come in the days ahead, we need to be staying in touch with our life groups and saying, how you doing? What's going on? How are you feeling? What do you need? Do you need groceries? Do you need help? Can I shovel your sidewalk? Um, because as we're close in proximity to people who have needs, we should step in and help with to meet those needs. We should. And it's funny, it's funny that you mentioned that. They even take, it's funny that they appoint seven men of good repute. And if you, if you think about the culture of the day, those who probably held the, the highest privileged positions uh, in society were men. And here the church does something drastically different than its culture. It takes those who are sitting in places of position and allows them now to be in positions of service mm. and kindness to care for the most vulnerable. Oftentimes when we sense needs, we might get a, a note from someone, hey, you should start a new ministry. You should start a program. Calvary Bible Church should do these things. Yeah. And to your point, say, hey, maybe you've recognized some of these needs. Perhaps God's answer to the needs is not a program, but a person. Mm. And you might be that person. Yeah. Amen. Let's well, talk about that next C. Yeah. Let's jump into uh, the next C, which, uh, you know, we, we began with community. And then uh, every, every healthy church also has a cause. And it's, it's pretty obvious to know what the cause of the church is, right? It's the gospel. It's the great commission that Jesus has called us to go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then Jesus promised that he'll be with us always. Um, but the cause is central to any organization. And uh, we see in verse 2 what one of the central uh, focuses of this cause in particular was uh, in verse two of chapter six. It says, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples after this complaint came forward and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. I think you see kind of a, a twofold mission that's in here. The first one we see is the preaching of the word of God. That's pretty clear that it's central to the health of, of a church, that it's a really important part of the cause, that the message of the gospel must be proclaimed in order for people to believe. But there's also a, a second part of the cause that's here, right? Absolutely. It's to serve tables. And so we see there's part of the cause both in word and in deed. Now, probably when you hear the word serve tables, you're thinking about the, the local waiter mm -hmm. at your restaurant bringing you a meal. But there's something that's so much richer here. It's actually the word uh, diaconeo, which we get our words diaconate or deacon, deaconess. It simply means to be a servant or a minister. So the disciples here are saying, hey, we have re reserved part of that cause, which is the spoken word. We must preach the gospel. But we also see another vital need in the church, which is service and care yeah. and the mercy ministry of those who are in need. And I think that's a way that we see that the cause helps to further and deepen the community, you know, that it meets its needs, that it's not more important 
or less important than the community, but that those two things have to be held in balance. It's interesting in verse four, I think there's just sort of three ways that uh, we see how the apostles uh, were really committed to their cause. First, it says uh, in verse four that they will devote themselves to something. And that's what a cause requires, devotion. You know, even in our our mission statement as a church, we say we're building a Christ-centered community of people that's fully devoted to loving God and loving others. That's an important element of of having a mission and being committed to something. And what are they devoted to? They're devoted to prayer and they're devoted to the ministry of the word. And we just want to say in this season of unique church ministry that we want to give our best efforts to being devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. And we want to encourage you to do that as well in the places that you are. As Thomas said earlier in his um, sort of introduction to this morning, we want to encourage families, those of you who um, are in life groups, to give yourself and devote yourself to prayer and the ministry of the word in this season. That's so central to the cause of the church. Absolutely. What we see here is, is not that one is more important than the other. Mm. The reason the apostles are going to take this so seriously and appoint others to be leading this essential ministry is because it is essential. It is not as though that the, the preaching of the word and prayer is up here and then mercy and care ministries are down here. Right. And it's not as though like mercy and care ministries are up here. And Well, if we get to the word, we'll get to that later. Some churches structure themselves that way as though the only thing that matters is preaching of the word and, and cares in the community aren't met. And some will say it's all about the social care of the community or the communities that we live in. And if we get to the word, if we get to prayer, that's kind of a bonus. Here we see in our text, that the preaching of the word is essential to being the church, that prayer is essential to being the church. And so is the care of the needs within the community. And because it's so essential, because that's part of the cause of the church, we we can't do it all, that we need to raise up new leaders and give them the ministry to be able to do these essential things. That's right. Okay, so we've talked about a community. We've talked about a cause, and now everybody's favorite component of a healthy church, the corporation. That's, you know, if I were to think of uh, a word to describe a church, that would probably be the last word that I would want to use. But I know we're staying with the C's. Yeah, we have so, to have alliteration, man. If it's we're going to stay right. with the C's, we'll go with corporation. Uh, think of it this way. We think of administration, mm-hmm. accountability, systems uh, that really help care for those needs in the sense of complexity and the growing needs within a community. Yeah, organization, administration matters. When you see the word corporation, you think like, oh man, there's no way that corporation should be a part of the church. But administration is a gift that's mentioned in the New Testament. And it's important because if you don't have a structure and a system, then the community is going to be neglected. That's what was happening Uh, that we saw in verse one. And the cause will be hindered if you don't have a good way to organize. Let's look at verse three. Um, What the apostles did when this complaint arose is they said, therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. So they're they're picking out from among them uh, a certain group of people to respond to the need. You know what I think is very interesting, though, is even as they organize and say, "Okay, we're going to have some structure here. Mm -hmm. We're going to need seven people who are going to be devoted to this. Look at what their qualifications are. It's not like we need to go out into the community and find people who are really good at serving others or people who know how to uh, make good meals 
or people who are really good with a first century spreadsheet. I don't, I don't know what they used. but it was, it was probably some form of a TPS report. Something like that. That's not the most important qualification. They say you need men who are uh, full of good repute, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom. So it's a good reminder for us that character, not competence, qualifies us for leadership in the church. Absolutely. And, and part of these, these qualities of character will be carried over when Paul speaks to Timothy about setting up some of this administration in his church. When he speaks about the quality of a deacon, um, when he speaks of Phoebe in her service to the church as a deaconess, uh, these are the qualifications, is that they're filled with wisdom. And you'll see, you'll see Stephen here, who is a man full of faith, mm-hmm. that this faith and wisdom kind of go together. That's the faith in Jesus Christ that allows us to see things as God sees them, which allows us to make those wise, discerning decisions of how we best care for one another and continue to administer all the needs of the church. Yeah. I love that it says that uh, they were, you know, men of good repute, spirit-filled, wise. Those are just good qualifications for us and a good reminder for us of what qualifies us for leadership. And unfortunately, we've seen too many examples of how lacking those things disqualifies us from leadership in the church. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I'm really thankful for with our senior pastor, Tom Shirk, is we gather as um, a staff. He'll often remind us. The reason that we get to have the platform of ministry is not because of our necessarily skill set. Yeah. It's because we are spirit-filled. We continue to point us back to spirit-filled ministry that qualifies us for the things that God has called us to accomplish. Yeah, that's exactly right. This, uh, this text uh, closes here by saying that the apostles will appoint these people to this duty. Um, this just reinforces our commitment as a church that we're totally committed to empowering leaders. And the way that that happens, that leaders are empowered, is if you notice as you look at the text, it's, it's not like the apostles micromanage this situation. Mm-hmm. It's not like they say, oh, we'll take care of it. We, we're in charge, so we have the best ideas. But they say, no, you're closest to the problem. You, you bring us people who you know who can help to meet these needs so that people aren't being neglected. And then their role is to basically say, we're going to look at their character qualifications. We're going to pray for them. We're going to anoint them to ministry. And we're going to send them off to do what they need to do. It's not we're going to tell them what to do. Yeah. We're going to order them around. No, it's we're going to empower them to lead. You know what's amazing about that is that's actually a character that the apostles have, that the church should have that very few leaders possess, which is the ability to give away authority. Yeah. It's to say that we, we don't have to hold on to every decision that happens. We don't have to give all that direction from the front office. What we need is more leaders. Jesus put it this way, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'd raise up, empower leaders, laborers, to go out into the harvest to accomplish the works of ministry. But what's really important in all of these things with you know, our community and our cause and our corporation is that we keep them within balance. Yeah. And it, it, it's an, a problem when a church becomes imbalanced on these or one becomes too big or yeah. too small or really even absent uh, what's altogether. And so when I think of this, I think of if you're, if you're a church that is only community and cause, you say, why do we need administration? Why do we need any of these details and systems? We should just be on mission for Christ. Right. Without some of that accountability, some of it's those- It's crazy. It's, it can be crazy, yeah. right? There's not accountability for even leadership. 
Yeah. And we've seen the fallout of, of that, that lack of accountability administration in many, uh, in many churches today. Yeah. Like, where did all the dollars go? Right. Um, who has spent these monies? Are people being accountable to do what they said they would do? And so for the safety and the security of the church, I think the Lord gives us administration. Yeah. Now, if you're just community and corporation, you don't have a cause. You're a country club, right. essentially, right? Yeah. I mean, what are we doing here? Well, we're just, all the resources are for us. Yeah. We're not moving forward. We're not on mission. It's just the community and our, and our administration, and we're just enjoying ourselves. And if you're also just cause and corporation, and you're not concerned with the community, then people just become a means to an end. Yeah. They just get chewed up in this machine of trying to accomplish an end without caring for the needs of the community. They just get caught up in the clog um, and then just, just disperse when they're no longer needed. And so it's important for us as a church to recognize that we need each of these pieces to be the church on mission to make the name of Jesus Christ famous. That's right. And the first century church was learning and growing and figuring out how to hold all of these in balance and tension. And show us what happens at the end uh, of this section of text in verse 7. Thomas. It's actually really great. Let's look at verse 7 together. So the word of God continued to increase, hmm. and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so because they are concerned with the essentials of preaching the word, of praying together and caring for the community, making sure that no one is neglected in their community. The unity of the community stays together. What God does, he blesses the community and then they continue to increase. And notice at the verse, of verse seven, at the end of verse seven, it says that, that many priests became obedient to the faith. Yeah, that's interesting. This is, this is radical. I mean, if you go back to chapter four, I'll, I'll point this out real quick and as we're closing here. Chapter four, verse one, Talking about the disciples speaking out in public, there was outside oppression mm. towards their message. And do you know who was oppressing them? Were the priests. Yeah. It says, and they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees hmm. came upon them. This is the people group that arrested them and put them in jail and wow. put them on trial. And now they're seeing something in the community, both in word and in deed, that convinces them as priests that they can belong. Yeah. And it's specific that the priests see a place for themselves in the community. Hmm. Think of what, what a priest does. A priest administers uh, all those things at the temple. And the temple was the central place in which God's presence dwelled. Hmm. It was that God's spirit would dwell in the temple. And they would care for the needs of the people at the temple. And they would open up the words and administer sacrifices at the temple. Right. And now these priests who have been so concerned with the presence of God and the administration of the words and the cares of the people and the sacrifices, what they find here is a community of priests. Well, this is what God promised, that we are a community of priests being built up in which Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And now they see themselves in the community fitting where God's spirit dwells richly, where the administration of the word and of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is met within this community and they too find their place. Once opposing the community, now they belong. That's amazing. It is really amazing. That's the kind of church we want to be, right? Absolutely. Where people would be drawn into a community that, that their heart would be stirred by the cause of the gospel, that they would become spirit-filled by the power of God and by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And 
I really believe, I know you do too, that these days are unique in the history of the church that we're facing right now. And there's opportunities for us to be the church like I'm not sure has ever happened in my lifetime. Absolutely. Nor mine. Yeah. And so what are the things that we can do from this text, even this week? And we, you know, we're going to be updating you um, as each day continues to bring out new news of how we're going to continue to respond as a church. But let's take our text here and just kind of put some steps in our near future. We're committed to the preaching of the word, which is why we are gathered today online Mm. to proclaim the word. We're also committed to the devotion of prayer. As I mentioned earlier, the ministry staff and the elders are going to be praying together this week. We pray that you are huddled up in your homes with your life groups, with your family members, praying for the gospel not only to be going forth, Uh, into your neighborhoods, into the areas where you work and where you are are playing, but that you'd be praying that God would bring an end to these things, that God would use these things that are are not going to be in his kingdom that's eternal, but use them for good purposes. And then we would be devoted to caring for the needs of others. And maybe you recognize where there are needs here in the congregation, in your neighborhoods, or at work, or within your community. And as John mentioned from this text, those closest to the needs are often those who are called to meet them. And so as you recognize needs, ask the Lord this, how can I, as a spirit filled, filled by by the, the grace of God with faith and wisdom, respond distinctly different, not in fear, but in faith to some of these needs? God, what are you calling me to do in these days that is distinctly Christian? Awesome. All right. We're looking forward to the day that we get to gather in person. Um, We're praying that's very soon. But we're we're praying for you. We're praying for your family. Um, If there are any things that we can do, remember, reach out to the front office um, with those needs, and someone from our ministry staff will be in contact. We love you. We love you. The Lord loves you. And we're praying for the days ahead.